You're listening to DraftKings Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Maze, I mean, did you see LeBron James's exit interview about why he didn't chase the scoring title? I'm not be out there playing, just be playing meaningless games to try to win a scoring title. That's so beneath me and where I am in my career. Um, you know, if I would have played enough games to qualify, period, in the beginning, then I would have took care of myself. But once we were eliminated from contention um, and, you know, knowing my ankle situation, but me going out there and playing in games that – don't mean anything for myself personally or for this franchise. I mean, I want to take nothing away from the guys that went out and, and did what they did winning these last two games. I think they, the younger guys, they played great basketball. But for me, I'm, I'm 19 years in. And going after a scoring title when you're not making the postseason is the most wackest thing ever. Hindsight is 2020, man. No, it's 2022. Maze, you know what happened there, right? Heard our little podcast, little basketball Illuminati mm-hmm. on his Wednesday morning drop. Mm-hmm. You know, LeBron has like three phones and he's like following everything. As you know, part of his photographic memories is his ability to process information that helps him on the court, but also helps him process all the sound and all the content out there that's about him. And, you know, Basketball Illuminati, which I don't know if people know this yet, but we are steadily rising up the Levitar charts as the most popular property outside of the main show. And it's no surprise that LeBron, you know, subscriber. Tell you what, LeBron, I'll send you a t-shirt. Just give me what size on me. Wackest thing ever, he calls it, is playing in games when you're eliminated from the playoffs. Wackest thing ever. I mean, Tom, it's pretty whack. Okay. <laughs> Wait, really? You think he listened to Illuminati or do you think it's more likely that he saw that Joel Embiid dropped 45 points on Tuesday night and was like, yep, I'm done. I can't do that. I'm out. That was the, that ain't it. (laughs) That was one of the the realization. I'm like, all right. He did the Abe Simpson. He walked in, he took his hat off. He saw Joel Embiid's 45, the hat back on, walked out. My assignment Uncover why the association inspires more conspiracy theories in volume and salience than any other U.S. sport. You've heard of the Illuminati. The truth is out there, but so are lies. Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. The NBA has always been controlled by about eight people. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. If you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain. The NBA Illuminati. If coincidences are just coincidences, why do they feel so contrived? The Illuminati. But you start to follow the money, and you don't know where the f*** is going to take you. 
it is unspoken, they have influence among other players. The NBA Illuminati. I don't have time for your convenient ignorance. Maybe I'm a conspiracist now as well. That's all it took. Oh, we got books, we got schools. You saw a video on YouTube. <laughs> my eyes, sir. I've never used them before. We are the basketball Illuminati. <laughs> Welcome to Basketball Illuminati. I'm Tom Haverstrow, and I'm speaking to you, as always, on a secure line, <laughs> along with my Illumin Army generals. Mm, promoted. Amin El Hassan and producer Anthony Mays. Lots of eyes to open today, okay? Got lots to get into. We're going to talk about how injuries, tanking, and DNPs are plaguing the NBA. And yes, I did my own research on the topic, and I'll be presenting those findings on a segment we like to call Tom Did His Own Research mm-hmm. on the NBA stars going MIA. Commissioner Adam Silver is scrambling for answers, and we'll provide those answers with our special truth teller guest, Jeff Stotts, who is the foremost injury guru in sports. Oh, I love this guy. At In Street Clothes on Twitter. I mean, you're excited for that one. He's got the most extensive database of any person out there. How do I know? Because multiple NBA teams pay him for the access to his injury database. He is a highly coveted individual in this sport, and we're going to have him on the show. And we'll also hear Amin's inconvenient truth about an all-time great. Amin says things that everyone else is too afraid to say. But first... are listening to The Agenda with Tom Haverstrow and Amin El-Hassan. Wow. Mm. Amin, Maze, this Raptors-Sixers series starting on Saturday night, there's lots to unpack here, man. There's so much going on here. We had Big Waz on the show last week on aggregators, which the people loved. Judging from the numbers, the emails we got to our basketballilluminati at gmail.com email address... It was a hit. So thank you to Big Waz for showing up. If you haven't listened to that episode, go listen to that. We could do another six hours on the Sixers. I mean, <laughs> guess what? We're going to do a few more minutes on the Sixers right here. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do six hours right here because, you know, podcast got to be a certain length. But trust me, we'll, we'll give you some good time right here. This is the medical series. Okay. This is Doc versus Nurse. Doc Rivers, the coach of the 76ers, going head to head against Nick Nurse, the coach of the Toronto Raptors. And both names are reported to be in the running. And on the short list for the Lakers job, they fired Frank Vogel and Rob Palenka goes, yeah, uh, we're going to do a very comprehensive and extensive search. So it's going to take a while. We're not going to rush into this decision, a.k.a. our coach is already coaching right now and we can't hire him yet. Mm -hmm. We have to wait until they get booted from the playoffs. Translation, whoever loses or wins. Whoever gets available first. This had some layers, right? Because... Do you want to win and keep going in the playoffs or do you want to lose and get that interview in first? Here's the funny thing. I'm going to tell you guys right now. In the case of which medical professional is going to see the Lakers in an upset, I don't think it's going to be the nurse. And here's why. 
First and foremost, usually, and we went through this ironically when Masai Ujiri was up for the quote-unquote Knicks job. And I think people south of the 48th parallel have this delusion that Toronto is some sort of outpost outside of the sophistication. It's a non-desirable place to be if you're an NBA. Yeah. They're the watchers on the wall. That's what they want you to believe, right? That's what the vibe is out there. But the reality is this. Toronto is one of the most cosmopolitan cities that we have in the Western Hemisphere. One of the most diverse cities we have in all the world. It's clean. People are friendly. They're beautiful. So many beautiful people. But here's the big part. You know who owns the Raptors? Guys, who's that? I mean, a little outfit called Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, mm. MLSE. Now, you might say, Maple Leaf? Well, that sounds familiar. You mean like the flag? Well, yes, like the flag, but also like the hockey team. And if I had to express how big that brand is in Canada, not in Toronto, in Canada, it would be like taking the New York Yankees, the Dallas Cowboys, and the Los Angeles Lakers and wrapping them in one brand. That's what the Toronto Maple Leafs is. Like LeBron James's closet. Yes, exactly. That's a weird wow. Oh, my nice. God. That is Illuminati. <laughs> wow, third eye activated. Right? So I say this, say this is a company that literally prints money. Money is not an issue. It's a reason why Masai is never going to go anywhere. Because they're going to give him all the resources and all the compensation he desires in order to do this. Oh, and by the way. When you run the Raptors, it's like being the head coach of the basketball team at the University of Texas or the head coach of the football team at Duke, right? The fate of the kingdom rests on the name in front of the building, MLSE. The Maple Leafs are what gets people hired and fired. As long as you don't embarrass yourselves, Toronto Raptors, everybody's going to be fine. And so there's a level of security, resources, and compensation that I would put up against any organization in the NBA. Guys, Nick Nurse is in a sweet spot. He's won a championship there. He's allowed to coach the way he wants to. He has input on the player personnel decisions. He ain't leaving to go babysit these guys over there. Do you think this is a clutch operation right here where Nick Nurse, a clutch client, he's already got his extension. He's got like two more years on his deal. It wasn't really making sense. Like why would Doc Rivers, who I believe is CAA, Mm -hmm. and then you got Nick Nurse. Why are the Lakers putting out those names? And then... Boom. Reporting for The Athletic, truth teller Sam Amick reporting that LeBron James wants Mark Jackson to be the head coach for the Los Angeles Lakers. Clutch client, Mark Jackson. There you go. Is it possible, I mean, that the Nick Nurse thing is just to drive up the price tag for their other client, Mark Jackson? First of all, it might drive up Nick Nurse's thing because, again, Nick Nurse has done another amazing coaching job. And so while he signed an extension recently, nothing to say he can't sign another extension or tear it up and give him a new deal. Mm. I would imagine that Toronto would be ecstatic about doing that. Like I said, that's a match made in heaven and money is not an issue for that organization. With regards to Mark Jackson, though, it's the old adage, the sales tactic of foot in the door. You ever heard of that? Sure. Door in the face is when you say something ridiculous and they try to slam the door and like, oh, okay, okay, okay. How about this thing that's less ridiculous, which is actually what I wanted to begin with? Well, this seems like a compromise. All right. Foot in the door is the opposite. Foot in the door is, let me offer you something. You put your foot in the door before they close it, and they're like, okay, go ahead. And then when you get in, you're like, okay, well, I don't really have that other thing. But I do have this. Mm. Ah, While you're in here, 
I'll let you pitch it to me. And I think Mark Jackson might be a classic foot in the door. You dangle a Nick Nurse to get their attention. And when you get in the door, you say, okay, well, Nick Nurse actually isn't available, but I'll tell you who is. Mm. Oh, Mark Jackson. Because it does seem like to me that Doc Rivers is trying is trying to slam the door on himself out of Philly because <laughs> yes. we saw what he did with James Harden last week where he out of the blue called out James Harden for a ball hogging. Rarely do you hear a coach call out a player like that. And there's a track record here with Doc. Let's just point out is that he did the same thing to Ben Simmons and created a whole entire mess. And the whole funny thing about it, he's the guy who's not supposed to be doing these things. He's the star whisperer. Mm -hmm. Doc Rivers' whole thing is about how he's able to get all the Ubuntu of all the stars, KG and Rondo and Ray Allen and Paul Pierce. Think about all those egos that he had to massage and keep them going forward. And it's been blowing up in his face here in Philadelphia where he antagonizes Ben Simmons and creates this huge problem for the organization. Then you have James Hardy who comes in weeks after the trade. He calls him out. And then the latest thing, I mean, this clip about DeAndre Jordan and Paul Reed and Doc Rivers is insane. How much DeAndre has struggled defending on the perimeter? Is there any regrets maybe not playing let me clarify this one more time for everybody who struggles with this. When there's a small lineup, I'm going to say it's slow so we can all pick it up. We'll play smaller with Paul. When there's a big five. Is he talking about the sporting goods store? What about when there's a dick, Stock? What about when there's a sports basement? Then what? He played bigger with DJ. Do we all have that now? Up until the last three games, though, yeah. that hasn't been the case. I'm asking, what have been well, Up until the last more? three games, look at who we've been playing. Sure. Just look at it. They've had big fives in. Okay, so against big fives, uh, because of fouling, sure. we like DJ. Do you understand that? You we have a whole coaching staff who, I'm just going to guess, knows a little bit more. And they watch every game. They watch every practice. We believe against big five, DJ is good for us. We believe against smalls, Paul. Could we play Paul with a big five? Yeah, you could. You may get in foul trouble early in a playoff game, which could swing a game. I've been around a long time. Trust that. The fact that he went after B-Ball Paul is, to me, like going to Red Sox fans and talking shit about Nomar. Nomar! Nomar, never forget! You can't do that. The Philly fans... And Paul Reed, you can't talk shit about Paul Reed. That is their guy. That is the Sam Hinkie of this team. And for him to be like, yeah, you guys really want me to roll out Paul Reed in the playoffs? That to me was the Archduke Ferdinand moment where he just took out Paul Reed and basically got the entire 76ers fan base wanting him out of there. I think what we have to bear in mind is that this isn't some guy who's inexperienced or some guy who loses his shit regularly. This is Doc Rivers, perhaps the most polished media-trained coach in all the NBA. I'm not trying to be sarcastic or exaggerating. Like, if he's not one, he's 1A at doing this media stuff. So when I see Doc Rivers, who I know is excellent at this, do that, I'm sorry, man. I get to the conclusion that Doc is playing fast and loose, and I don't see him playing fast and loose without a reason. There's got to be a reason behind it. And this just kind of adds on to all the ammunition that we had from last week. If you missed last week, definitely go back and check it out. We had a great segment with Big Waz. 
to me, it's pointing to he is trying to hasten his departure, collect his money, and then be available for one of these jobs that's going to open up. I mean, I know you're well steeped in the whole Doc Rivers flowchart of has he played for me? And the DeAndre Jordan thing is just perfect. That he's the answer for the 76ers backup center issues over the years. That's been a huge, giant void and crater. But here comes DeAndre Jordan. But you know who's not coming to save them? Not walking through that door in Toronto is Matisse Thibel. Matisse Thibel is unvaccinated. He had a long explanation for it the other day. There was points where I, I, many, many points where I had to stop and reconsider, but at the time of having to make my decision, the, the odds that I was working with were not 100%. So working with sub 50% percentages is just hard to commit to doing something that I felt like was not right for me based off of a potential that could turn out I wouldn't have to have done it in the first place. Are you concerned, are you concerned that this could impact your career moving forward? Yeah, I've accepted. I mean, one of the things my dad taught me growing up, he's like, you're free to do whatever you want as long as you're willing to accept the consequences of it. And like, like I said, I, I considered deeply all the, all the different avenues. And, of course, I've accepted that this could hurt money, contracts, it could reputation, but I felt like this was the right thing that I needed to do for myself. My reasoning for getting and not getting wasn't really the downsides. I just didn't feel like it would benefit me. I didn't see any benefits outweighing what I could seek from alternative medicine. Oh, the Haitian sensation. <sighs> you know, I know, I get it. We're the Conspiracy Theory Podcast, but Jesus Christ, man. Come on, guy. He took one vax. He took one shot. One opportunity. And then realized it's not going to save the world. Wait, you know what? We can't do this. I mean, we can't do this better than Stephen A. We can't. We just can't. What does Stephen A say? We're not calling anyone dumb. <laughs> Let's be very clear. No, nobody's dumb. But Thibault and his vaccination issues might be one of the dumbest things I have ever encountered in my career covering the NBA. Let me get this straight. You took the vaccine, but you didn't get the second shot. I mean, at least Kyrie took a position. Right. I mean, I ain't taking it. You know, right. No, no, you took it. Right. You just didn't take the second shot. <laughs> and that's why you're going to miss playoff games in Toronto. That has got to be, I mean, when I think about, when I think about stupidity, I mean, genuine stupidity. I'm struggling. I'm going back in all my years of the kind of stuff that I have covered in the history of sports. You took the vaccine but didn't take the second shot, and that's why you're going to miss the playoffs? I mean, I just can't believe how dumb that is. And by the way, we can't absolve the Sixers from their stupidity because how did you not make sure he got the second shot since he took the first shot? I mean, especially dumb. I mean, you've been on Levitard's show talking about Stephen A. There are levels to his, he goes soft to loud. Yeah. This is what I'm talking about, right? This is classic Stephen A. Smith, where there is a whole act to when he gets to his point. Yeah. It's no different than a DJ that lets the beat build before he lets the beat drop. That's exactly what Stephen A. is doing. He says, you get that little build and then you drop it with Matisse or whatever it is. Yeah. But just like the weekend, Stephen A. isn't playing Coachella unless he gets that Kanye money. Blueberry. 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 <laughs> 
Matisse Thibault, when we talk about the X's and O's of this series, that's a pretty big deal that they're going to miss their best perimeter defender for two games. And they have a team that can go small. Maybe three games. I think it's huge, man. They already have shown lapses in defensive performance, even though their overall numbers look good. And Nick Nurse is the kind of coach that will take advantage of things like that. They can find those flaws and work through that. So, yeah, man, this shit is bad. It's all bad news for Philly. Be prepared. Raptors in five, Raptors in six. What do you think, Tom? I got Raptors in five. I'll go six. Do it at home in Toronto. And then how long before five or six days after they lose that Doc Rivers is hired by the Lakers? Hired by the Lakers, no, but definitely getting let go is happening within 48 hours. Well, speaking of getting let go, the whole idea of playing 82 games is being let go by today's NBA players. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Let's talk about it. Tom did his own research. What does that look like? You doing your own research. Are you doing studies yourself? Are you in the lab on a nightly basis? What are you doing? Do your own research. Do your own research. Do your own research. Do your own research. Doing your own research. I'm not a scientist. I'm not here to tell everyone that this is it. For me, it's just um, just giving everyone a chance to do their own research and find their own knowledge. I mean, thank God the playoffs are here, man. Thank God. The last week was something else. We made it. These games finally matter. Leave it to LeBron James to say the quiet part out loud that these games are meaningless. (laughs) Why am I supposed to be playing? For many of these NBA teams, the April month is just the backwash. The wackest thing ever. G League rosters everywhere. I mean, do you have a favorite tanking story or like your favorite tank job in NBA history? My favorite tank job? Is it Mark Madsen shooting like 15 three-pointers? Oh, that was a good one. Yeah, that was awesome. I'm trying to think. The one everyone brings up is the one I was. It was David Robinson, 97. Oh, he's hurt. Ah, Relax. I'm, I'm fine, Coach. I just, I take a seat, man. It's all right. Well, a new contender for the best one of all time is April 5th, 2022. Mm. Blazers, emphasis on B because of the B team and the Oklahoma City Blue, which is the G League affiliate for the Thunder. Okay. This was an amazing tank of Blues between these two teams. Okay. OKC played seven players. All seven of them were G League players. Two of those players were making their NBA debuts. That night, that was the Thunder side. They shut down Shy. They shut down Derek Favors. They shut down Lou Dort. They shut down basically any veteran good player. Shut down Lou Dort is quite a statement, by the way. Oh, he's, I mean, come on. Don't shit on Lou Dort. The Haitian sensation. Don't do that. No, I'm not. ASU forks up. On the Blazers side, I mean, they had already shut down Damon Lillard, Yusuf Nurkic, Eric Bledsoe. Didn't even suit up for that, by the way. They traded for Eric Bledsoe and they were like, yeah, he's got some tendinopathy. He'll be back soon. And then just didn't play him at all for the rest of the season. Josh Hart, Anthony Simons, all been shut down. April 5th, they were giving minutes to Damon Lillard's cousin who finished the season shooting 24% from the floor in the last 13 games or something like that. Attaboy. Elijah Hughes, who shot 29% in 22 games for the Blazers this season. Those guys were getting rotation minutes for this Blazers team. Heading into the All-Star break, they were 25 and 34 in the 10th slot at the All-Star break. And then they proceeded to go three and 21 after the break. Okay. They lose 21 to 24 games. This particular game though, 
was incredible. The Blazers were up by 18 points with 10 minutes left, and the Thunder went on a 26-4 to run to finish out the game. Nice. And here's my favorite part. Chauncey Billups, the coach of the Blazers, was so panicked, tried to stop the bleeding, that he didn't call any timeouts in the final three minutes of the game. Tremendous. They're blowing the game. It's spiraling out of control, and he's just hands in his pockets. It's a two-possession game. I've never seen that before in an NBA game where it's a one, two-possession game in the final couple minutes, and the coach is just not even calling a timeout. Phil Jackson. Everything is falling apart. How else are they going to figure out how to play, Tom? Yeah, let them learn. (laughs) Tom, surely both of these teams were in this position because they were so banged up. Yeah, and that's the problem we have is we can't tell who's banged up and who's just sitting out because they're tanking. We thought that the whole playing tournament was going to be solving these issues, the panacea for tanking. It did. Not for all tanking, but for some of the tanking. It did some. I think it was a really good thing for the league to add the play-in tournament. But man, if you look at these rosters that Orlando's putting out, that Houston's putting out, that Portland's putting out, Indiana lost 11 straight or 10 straight to finish the season. Detroit sat Cade Cunningham for the final game of the season. And it all brings back to this point. Mm -hmm. Damian Lillard is an Iron Man in today's NBA. LeBron James, Iron Man. Right before he came to Lakers, he was averaging more minutes than anybody in the league, right? He played 82 games many times. Mm -hmm. But now when you look at the NBA and the stars, they're not playing nearly as much. And Adam Silver, when he was asked at a press conference at the Board of Governors, when he was asked about trade demands and how trade demands are this really big problem in the league, he steered the steering wheel. He like jerked the wheel and was like, ah, we're going to go in this other direction. And I'm going to talk about how star players are not playing, period, in the NBA. Here's Adam Silver. We didn't have discussions about trade demands per se. Um, greater concern to me is a trend of star players not participating in a full complement of games. And I I think that's something we, together with the Player Association, need to address. I don't, not standing here saying I have um, a great solution. Um, Part of the issue is injuries. And one of the things we have focused on at the league office, and we're spending, we had begun to spend a lot of time on pre-pandemic. Are there things that we can do in terms of sharing information, resources around the league to improve best practices, rehabilitation, etc. Well done by the commission. <laughs> Way to deflect. That's the dad technique, right? Ethan taught us that one. Don't apologize, double down. D-A-D-D. Thought we were going about trade demands and then just said, you know what? I got to use this soapbox moment. I got to get on here and talk about how these guys aren't holding up their end of the bargain. Making points about, hey, when consumers, when the audience is asking for these games, we got to play. So... I wanted to actually put numbers on this, Amin, Maze, mm-hmm. to get at what he's getting at is, you know, how often do star players play? So I looked at all NBA players in a given season. I wanted like a proxy for stars. I didn't like all-star because then you have like Andrew Wiggins is an all-star. He's a star player. What do you mean, Tom? No, no, I'm not doing that. All-star starter. One of the leading vote getters. No, we're not. We're not doing that. Maple Jordan. Number one overall pick. Put that in the Hall of Fame. So what I did was I looked at 15 All-NBA players in a given season. How many games did they play the following year? 20 years ago, the 2001 All-NBA team featuring the likes of Shaq, Tim Duncan, Kobe, Karl Malone, AI. The average games played by that 15-player group the following season, so in 2002, 
was 74. Eight missed games per year. And the median numbers, so the number that was in the middle, was 78 games played, just as a benchmark. One decade ago, the average games played for the All-NBA squad the following year was, again, 74 games played, and the median number was 76. Question for you, Amin and Mays. Last year's All-NBA team, how many games on average did they play this season? Now, Tom, I have to ask, does this account for anybody that might have missed the entire season? Yes, those numbers are going to be included. Yes. I'm going to go... I'm going to say 62. Ah, wow. Well, I was going to say 61. So once again, I mean, (laughs) just one right above me, as usual. The answer is... Drum roll. 52. Wow. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. The average All-NBA player missed 30 games this season. That's not even counting Zion. That's not even counting Ben Simmons. Right. That's not counting Anthony Davis, who played 40 games this year, or John Wall, who didn't play a single game this year. What's amazing about this is not a single All-NBA player last year played 75 games this year. 75. That's it. Jokic hit 72? Jokic is at 74. So here's the list. Steph Curry, 64. Julius Randle, 72. Paul George, 31. Kyrie Irving, 29. Kawhi Leonard, 0. Chris Paul, 65. Damian Lillard, 29. Nikola Jokic, 74. Joel Embiid, 68. LeBron James, 56. Luka, 65. Brad Beal, 40. Giannis, 67. Jimmy Butler, 57. Rudy Gobert, 66. All coming to an average of 52 games. Think about what that means. 30 games missed by the game's biggest stars. 30 times 15 is 450 games that the NBA is missing. I'm Tom Haverstrow, and you're watching The Big Number. So the TV partners, the networks, have to program 450 games without that star player being the face of that national TV game. 450 games. That's crazy. There's crossover, obviously, in some of those. But yeah, for the most part, you're right. That is problematic, and that is an issue. See, this is what I want to ask our guests when it comes up later, Jeff Stotts. Is like, I wonder what the sweet spot for number of games is. Because, guys, I came up with a formula. Wait, I mean, did you do your own math? Yo, not only did I do my own math, I came to me in a dream, Maze, <laughs> believe it or not. I literally dreamt this. <laughs> I had a dream. I had a dream. We're NBA seasons. We're not 82 games. Check this out. So in my dream, someone was telling me that Kyrie was playing great because he only plays twice a week which made me think of European basketball where oftentimes you play maybe two to three times a week, right? Yeah. You play in your domestic league. You might play in the big league, the Euro League or the Euro Cup or whatever. And you might have a domestic cup that you're playing in as well. But for the most part, twice a week. So I said, okay, the NBA season is roughly 25 weeks long. Twice a week, we come out to 50 games. I'm like, okay, that's not enough. I've long held that the way that you do this is you have to play every team at least twice, right? You want to give fans in every city the ability on principle to see LeBron at least once a year in their building, to see Kyrie at least once a year in their building, to see Giannis once a year in their building. So that would be 58 games is one home, one away. 58 is the minimum if that's the case. But we also know that you got to play more in your conference because if we're going to do playoffs, you got to figure out where you go. So I said, okay, how about this? You play every team in the opposite conference twice. That's 15 teams twice. That's 30 games. Then you play every intra-divisional foe. So if you're in the Atlantic division and you're the Knicks, you're going to play the Nets, the Sixers, the Raptors, and the Celtics 
three times a piece. This takes away the whole, what if they're tied the season series? Nope. You're going to play them three times, so we'll know immediately what the season series is. Somebody wins it. So three times a piece, 12 games, basically. So we're up to 42 total games. So then you play every other interconference foe twice. If you're the Knicks again, you play the Central and the Southeast teams twice. That's 20 more games. That gets us up to 62. But I said, man, that seems low because 62 divided by 25 is about 2.2, 2.3 games a week. Mm. I think we can up it without getting all the way up to three games a week. That leaves you five more games to play against a rotation of intra-conference foes. So basically, if you are the Knicks, one year you'll play the Central Division three times as well. And the Southeast, we only play twice. And then the next year, it'll be the Southeast, et cetera, et cetera. Gotcha. Kind of like the NFL, how you play two opposite divisions each year. But it's not the NFL model. It's the Yale Hassan model. Yep. And so that leaves you at 67 game season. So you have three extra games to get to 70. Now, you could take those three games if you did the NBA, and now you can make your in-season cup, mm. the Commissioner's Cup or whatever you want to do. Mm. So no team will play any more than 70 games, but no team will play any less than, let's say, 68. It's not the Gold Cup. It's the Silver Cup. There you go. I figure this is a way where we can get teams playing two to three times a week, more time for rest, more time for travel, almost a complete elimination if we want of back-to-backs, since it'll be easier on people's bodies and easier on the travel. I submit to you that we will never have DNP rests we'll have players actually playing. I like this El Hassan model. I've always been a proponent of the 58-game season, but that's too extreme. I feel like that in a pie-in-the-sky health and entertainment standpoint, that would be the sweet spot. But as you point out, I think you need a little bit more games to massage the wallets of the owners and the players. I mean, the players get 50% as well of the revenues. And so you can't just lop off 24 games of the schedule. Right. If I'm asking you to take 12 games off, to drop from 82 to 70. That's a lot more palatable, particularly if I'm telling you because we're doing this, we're going to get more participation from our star players and as a result, get better basketball. Better basketball, which would drive more viewers because it's more appointment viewing. It's not a game every second of every night. Mm -hmm. I think you solved it, Amin. I'm here with answers. I don't know. I kind of like Austin Reeves having a triple-double. When LeBron doesn't play. You know what I think, Tom? I think that's the wackest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up, we're going to talk to Jeff Stotts about all of these injuries right after the break. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You all think I'm late. Well, I'm not late. And I'm going to stay right here and fight for this lost cause, even if this room gets filled with lies like these. And the tailors and all their armies come marching into this place. Somebody will listen to me. There's no better way to overpower a trickle of doubt than with a flood of naked truth. But the complexity and the gray lie not in the truth. But what you do with the truth once you have it. 
What is true and right is true and right for all. You and I both know that that's just not the truth. You can't handle the truth! It's too messy. Keep some up nights. I'm here because in the end, the truth is worth the risk. Speak a little truth and people lose their minds. I'm a grown man, you can tell me the truth. Why is it people who want the truth never believe it when they hear it? So you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna do something really outrageous. I'm gonna tell the truth. And now it is my pleasure to bring in our truth teller extraordinaire. Oh man, this is special. Mr. Jeff Stotts at In Street Clothes. He has a new podcast out with our guy, Brian Sutterer. It is the go-to resource for injury news across sports. This is the truth out there. You want to know what's really going on with injuries in all sports and player health and all these shenanigans that you see, some of these weird injuries. Brian and Jeff lay down the truth. And I just, I'm so, I'm so humbled to be in your presence, Jeff. Happy to be here as always. You guys are always nice to have me or Brian on. We love chopping it up with you guys. I'm guessing you've heard the Adam Silver comments about NBA stars are now playing the full complement of games. I mean, you have been tracking player injury data for how long now? 2012 is when I really started building the database. So November 2012. So done season by season, basically since the 2012-2013 season. A decade, folks. How far back does the data go to? 2012 or do you go back before that? I have a complete set all the way back to 0506 because that's when we switched with the the game-to-game inactive list. Basically, if you've played from 0506 and on, I have your entire career. So I have some data that even goes beyond that 0506 number for guys like Dirk, LeBron, any of those that played before 0506. So when you hear Adam Silver say the stars are not playing a full complement of games and we're trying to fix that, what does your data tell you about just injuries in general this year and where we're at? So injuries this year have been high and we knew that was going to be the case coming in because of COVID. I'm going to preface by what I'm saying is I tried to take and filter out all the COVID numbers, like completely take those out and separate those because that's a huge variable that we never had before. Right. So we had over, I think 1300 games lost to either health and safety protocols or COVID. Wow. Extremely high. That being said, we still had over 6,000 games lost to injury or illness this year, which is the first time that's ever happened in my database. First time. First time. So it was a little bit higher. The, the previous season was 2017, 2018. That was 5,560, somewhere around there. That was the year Hayward broke his ankle on opening night. You had Jeremy Lin rupture his patellar on opening nights. So you had a lot of kind of season-ending injuries happen early on. I think there was only two other guys that missed the entire year. So you had Seth Curry, his first stint with Dallas. There's somebody else, I don't remember who it is. But bottom line is that was the highest total until this season. But that does not include those rest games that we're talking about. I've filtered those out and looked at those today since the the regular season is over. We had more quote-unquote rest games last year than we did this year. Now, the teams are getting a little bit smarter about how they reference these. We're starting to see the injury maintenance games, right? So they're not listing them as rest. You're even seeing that on some reports. They'll have a guy out with rest a guy with soreness, and then a guy with maintenance. And so three different kind of things that are maybe all the exact same thing. So trying to filter all that noise out. But I I totally understand what Adam Silver's saying. But bottom line is we knew coming in, the injuries were going to be elevated. You had a huge number of players played this season. So many teams set records for most lineups, most players played due to those rosters expanding with COVID. So we had other injuries occurring. You know, those guys came in and got injured. That's just they sprained an ankle. We had some guys getting signed and then catching COVID and things like that. So inherently, when you add more players, you're going to have more injuries and the numbers are going to go up. And even 
couple that back to a couple years ago where we added a two-way player. Now, again, I try to factor those out. Every guy that goes in my database, his contract status goes in, so we can filter those things out. So when I compare it back to 0506, I'm looking at roster players, someone that's on the 15-man roster. But it's it's complicated. You know, it's it's very nuanced, it's very layered, but it's suggesting the numbers are up this year. So let me ask you a question, Jeff. You're saying when we filter out the people who miss games due to health and safety protocol, COVID-related illness, and we're talking just injuries. We had more injuries this year than ever, but you said it was expected. Is that because of the shortness of the offseason, or what do you attribute that expectedness of that spike to be to? So for me, it was the tax of the past two seasons and the truncated changes in the season, the truncated offseason for a lot of people. It's an Olympic year, so we had those kinds of things coming in. And then the thing that I don't think it's talked about enough is how draining the last two years have been on the medical staff. Yep. They've been overworked and working yep. extremely hard. And so no one's in their normal routine. It's one reason why I'm optimistic that next year, once we kind of get back into the normal beats of a regular offseason, knowing you know we're going from an 82-game season to another 82-game season, we can hopefully see some dip and everybody, the medical staffs, the players themselves, whoever it may be, can get back into a normal routine that most of these guys are familiar with. I was talking to a GM the other day who said on the Board of Governors call with Adam Silver, there's a lot of discussion amongst those governors and GMs and et cetera about what to do about this problem of the average star player or the average player is not playing as many games as they used to. And one prominent person spoke up and said, according to the GM, back in my day when I played, we played when we were 75%. Anything above 75%, we're going to play. And now he feels like players aren't playing when they're 95%. They're like, I'm feeling like 94 today. I'm feeling like 93. I don't think I'm going to give it a go. And I guess the takeaway there is, are you seeing players get injured and having longer return to play for the same injury? So ankle injuries are taking X percent longer, or an extra few days on average. Are run-of-the-mill injuries that you used to see five years ago or 10 years ago, I know the data goes back to, what, 2011. Are we seeing that the return to play for certain injuries are just taking longer than they used to? It's so subjective. It's really hard. It's, it is circumstantial in a lot of cases, right? Really, we, if we can go back to even San Antonio, right? They're the, they're the ones that started the rest, right? But they had the luxury. The coach was confident in his job. They were confident in their system. They could do that. We're seeing more people become more comfortable with that, even regardless of the record and, and where the standings are. It's okay, we've got to rest this guy. The problem comes down to, like you said, comparing injuries is one thing, but it's hard from a standpoint of the players are giving us objective information and are we listening to them more? Yeah. Giving them more leeway to say, okay, I don't feel good and, and listening to what they're saying. Or is it a case where we're still having kind of the same stuff? It's just worded differently and maybe approached a little bit differently. I mean, the numbers this year are elevated because we had nine guys not played all this season, which for me, uh, looking through the numbers, that's, that's the first time that those numbers have been that high. And that doesn't include a guy in the state two games who was healthy in John Wall. Right. Like, where do we classify that? Yeah. Do we classify that as rest? Do we classify that as injury maintenance? Is that a guy who's 100% not playing? Like, what do you do with those situations? Right. This must be really fun for you to try to translate all this information. That must be a blast. You should see my notes on some players because it's just like, okay, this is what this was, but this is what we said. And you're trying to decode it. Right. That's one reason why. I feel like my data is a little bit more valuable than some other people because I'm an athletic trainer by trade, right? Like I can kind of read into some of the stuff, read the tea leaves a little bit and, and get a good gauge on, okay, well, this makes sense or this doesn't. So kind of go back to your original question. I think we're being more conservative with injuries, like the bigger injuries, right? Like in the past, it was like a guy's got to go get back. But you look at Durant, right? Like he came out and said, 
I didn't feel 100%, so I wasn't going to play in the bubble. So he didn't play in the bubble. So that's more games lost for him. And it might have actually been more beneficial. He lost less games here. So is there kind of this give and take, right? So yeah, we might be pushing the envelope. Guys are sitting longer, but now they're not suffering that secondary injury when they come back. And so I mean, a lot of the cases, like a guy like Kawhi, right? Like, we don't know when he's coming back. We don't know his status. He's missed the entire season. And is that going to actually be more beneficial next year? Instead of him trying to come back and, and rush things back, is he come back healthy and able to play? Right. Quick question for you, Jeff. Earlier in the program, we were talking about the pie in the sky, which is adjusting the schedule to reduce, like, the stress of guys playing a lot. And the reality is, Players sitting out is a direct result of us figuring out the schedule. 82 games is too long. If Adam Silver comes to you right now and says, Jeff Stotts, you're my guy. You tell me what the sweet spot of number of games to play in a season is. Assuming that we're keeping the same calendar, 25 weeks from October to mid-April, what's the number that you go with? I like 72. We kind of talked about this a little bit last year when we went with 72 but we kept this truncated a little bit. But we shrunk the calendar, yep. Yeah. I don't understand why we didn't just keep the same calendar year with the same beats, but now we're playing less games. That averages out to about three games a week. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's going to be some different balances and give and takes and things like that, but you're further reducing the back-to-backs. You're giving a little bit more wiggle room for travel and things like that. And it's those steps that I think would be beneficial to maybe potentially getting the players play at the high level. Because think about it this year. Look at a guy like Kyrie, right, who played sparingly and performed well when he was coming in and out and healthy. And then now that he's been back on a regular schedule, it seems to be a little bit more taxing. It's a little bit harder on his body and he's not having those constant massive games. If we can get everybody as healthy as possible, maybe we're looking at high performance from a lot of guys. How much of that was Kyrie now having to play both home and road? And how much of it was the cumulative of, at the beginning, he'd only played two or three games. Now he's played 20 some odd and the drag on him. It's a little bit of both, right? Generally when we're looking at things like load and minutes on the body, we're looking at, a snapshot, so like the last week or two, and then his cumulative effect the last couple of months. Mm-hmm. We're trying to find his balance in between those. Acute to chronic workload ratio is something that some people buy into, other people don't, but I know some teams in the league use it and they really like it. And so it's it's a measure into looking at a player and trying to see what is his overall fitness level. So that's kind of general conditioning, where he's been over the last several months, and then that snapshot in time, where what is his body saying for the demands of the last two to three weeks. One last question in this genie world where Adam Silver gives you all the power, right? (laughs) Less games in the schedule versus less minutes in a game. A few years ago, they talked about the idea of going down to 40-minute games, go international style. Do you think reducing the time of games down to 40 minutes would have a positive impact in terms of injuries and player rest versus players actually playing? The short answer is yes, right? Because you take away minutes, you're talking about less chances of something happen. Every time we step on a basketball court, the odds something's going to happen, right? You're going to reduce the odds of something happening, right? You look at, let's just take this snapshot, the Luka Doncic injury, right? Like if the game had been reduced and that third quarter was shorter and he's not out there because the third quarter had ended earlier, he might not have strained his calf, right? So Jeff, Jeff, that's hindsight. That's hindsight, Jeff. <laughs> right? I can say that, but we're talking about... If the season was shorter, he wouldn't have gotten injured either. That's right. 72 games. (laughs) Completely agreed. So, again, you've got to look at the grand scheme of things and anything you can do to mitigate risk and reduce odds of something happening, it's going to be beneficial. And it's, look, it's finding that happy balance. I would tell Silver, there's no magic answer, right? Injuries are going to happen. I'm always going to have a job. (laughs) It's always going to happen, right? Jeff's in on it. It's going to happen no matter what happens. Yeah. We can't turn injuries off like in 2K, folks. Jeff's not going to let us. Everyone always tweets me with that. Turn injuries off. And I'm like, 
why? Like, I, I wouldn't have a job if I did that. <laughs> <laughs> you dicks. I'd be without a job. <laughs> nobody wants to talk to me, right? Like, I'm being honest, right? Like, nobody wants to hear me talking about their team because that means somebody's hurt, right? I'm the harbinger of doom, mm. but I love talking about it, I love educating about it. So it's a fine balance you got to have to walk. And I'll be that guy off all on that sword to, to educate the public and, and try to help provide some clarity. Yeah, you guys recently talked about on your podcast, In Street Clothes, you and Brian talked about Anthony Davis and LeBron James. LeBron in his exit interview he talked about he's not going to do surgery for his ankle and then he's got his knee issues and he's got his groin issues. Is LeBron finally showing that he's human, Jeff? Like your database, you probably in the last 10 years have written next to his name, not human, not human, not human. Mm-hmm. How is this possible? And then this year, it feels like everything kind of hit. Yeah. So LeBron is one of the main reasons I started the database, right? Because Everyone always said, oh, well, LeBron never gets hurt. Well, that, that's not true. Like he just ha- has an amazing job of playing with injuries and, and being able to play through injuries and being someone that is capable of withstanding the grind of the season, right? So you look at his injury profile. He's got over 150 injuries throughout his career. It's a lengthy page. It is super long. Who's got the longest in your database? Camby's got to be. Marcus Camby was up there. <laughs> it was a bunch of little things, right? It was always something. Dirk's up there just because of a long career. Kobe's up there. Kobe might be might be up there too. Kobe's got a lot, a lot of different injuries, right? That's the thing. Kobe's hallmark is that he had so many different injuries: broken wrist, pinky, the Achilles, obviously. Was it Allen Iverson also the the most famous one where they show the body of Allen Iverson and like all the different injuries he's had? So funny story, they were doing the graphic when Kobe was retiring of all his injuries. And I worked with ESPN on on their graphic and they sent me a list of like, hey, here's the list of injuries we have. We look them over. And I was like, y'all, I have like four times this, this. Because again, not everything is recorded in a box score, right? You're just looking at a box score. If the guy doesn't miss time, it's lost in space, right? So back to LeBron, I think we're finally starting to see those injuries result in games lost, right? So I think I said in the pod, he's missed more time in the Lakers uniform than he has the previous three stops, Cleveland twice in Miami combined. That's just kind of what it is. And it's your your soft tissue injuries. You're seeing the knee, the ankle, the groin. And so these are all soft tissue injuries, which considering his amazing career workload, that's bound to happen. It's going to happen. It is inevitable. Your body simply cannot keep up. Even though he invested so much money in his body, and even though he does all these things, it's going to wear down over time, right? And so I think this is the first time we've seen him look less than Superman. Is there such thing as injury prone? (laughs) Brian and I have this debate all the time. Neither one of us like that term. I think you have to look at entirety of a player. Some players just get unlucky, right? Like look at AD, his knee injury and his ankle injury this year. Yeah. Someone fell into him. Look at LeBron's ankle injury last year. Someone fell into him, right? Those are not necessarily his fault. The term injury prone, Brian always says, like implies somebody did something wrong. Like they were doing something when they could have been preventing it. That's not always the case. There are things you can do to reduce the risk, but the risk factors still are in place. So you can do everything right and still get hurt. You can still break your finger. Someone runs into you and you break a finger out in six weeks. Chris Paul getting his hand tangled up in a jersey or Gordon Hayward, a bunch of hand injuries like last couple of years, Blake Griffin, another one. It just seems like we tag the injury prone label to a player, even if it's things that we agree are not under their purview yet, not under the purview of their control. Where I get concerned is when it's the same injury over and over again, similar issues. So like if you have a hamstring strain on one leg and then you see a calf strain on the same leg and then you see 
maybe an ankle. It is one of those things that you can't necessarily dismiss, but it's unfair. We're going to go lightning round. You're going to give us what you think about an injury, the prognosis for a star player in the playoffs here. Another player that is tagged with the injury prone label throughout his career, especially early in his career, Stephen Curry. What do you say about Stephen Curry's availability here in the playoffs? I think this is a true day-to-day situation. They're going to test him out routinely. I would not be surprised if he returns in the first round, but with a lot of these situations, the higher seeds are going to hope they can get a series win or a couple wins with these guys to buy their guys some more time to rest. All right, next up, Luka Doncic. We had the update from the Dallas Mavericks. They told us absolutely nothing that we didn't already know. Oh, he has a calf strain. Thanks. You talked about this the day he got hurt, how the calf muscle is so complex and it could be any variety of things. Can you give me kind of Best case scenario, worst case scenario within the construct of a calf strain. Yeah, the no update update from the Mavs. Yeah. We know it was a calf strain. We know it was muscular related. It's hopefully looking on where Luca was kind of indicating in the muscle belly, which is good. It's away from the tendons. I think the key for me is going to be what does the second game look like? Because we know they play that first game of the playoffs. If that schedule comes out and they play Tuesday, I wouldn't be shocked if he sits game one and they bring him back for game two for that extra time. There's a lot of variability with the calf strain, but the fact that they haven't ruled him out and said, look, it's a grade two calf strain and he's going to be out for six weeks is a good indication that it's something they feel like they can work with and hopefully have him back at some point. It'll just be interesting to see when that is. Never good when the coach is saying that a player is in great spirits. <laughs> you saw Jason Gallagher mention that, like he's terrified. He's a Mavericks fan. He's terrified that Jason Kidd repeated the, the phrase. Yeah, Luca's in great spirits. Guy who's probably been more frustrating for the injury trackers like yourself. Ben Simmons, what do you say? It's hard for me to think of a guy who's had a history of back injuries, particularly one that sounds like it's disrelated and it has some impingement issues, jumping right into an NBA game and and having high expectations. Factor in the mental facet of it, whatever you want to think about that. I think putting him in and casting him into a high leverage situation could be potentially problematic. So again, if they can win a series or two and maybe buy him some time, maybe we see him, but I'd be generally surprised if he played again this year. I love the Ben Simmons talk because I feel like in the last five years, there are two injuries that I feel like I'm an expert on. One is the torn ulnar collateral ligament in my thumb. So what Drew Brees had at the same time, I was like, I knew exactly what he was going oh, through. Here we go. And the other is Ben Simmons because I had the exact same issue last fall. I had a bulging disc that was pushing up on a nerve that ended up giving me intense pain down my leg. It was so weird. Let me ask you this, actually. I got you here. So (laughs) the weirdest thing about it was it was almost like a mimic. It mimicked every single different type of pain in my leg. So my ankle felt like I I sprained it severely. My calf felt like it was on the edge of straining. My hamstring felt like it was a tear. My hip felt like it was disjointed. My knee was sore. How does one injury impact so many different areas in so many different ways? So if you think of nerves like the branches of a tree, right? The closer you get to the trunk, it's bigger. That's kind of how we imagine that's the spinal cord. And as we go out further down the branch, that's how our nerves go. For the arm, right? They shoot out underneath this brachial plexus in your shoulder and go down your arm. Your back, they kind of go out and branch down as well. You pinch one of those nerves and it has a trickle down effect, right? So you start talking about the same nerve that innervates your calf, that innervates the knee, that innervates the ankle, those kinds of things. 
is being irritated at its root, so where it starts. And so it's just kind of this trickle-down effect. And then your body changes, right? So then you start walking a little bit different due to the pain. So then now you're putting new stress on on different area of your body. So it's really just a trickle-down effect, whether it's from the the nerve root or biomechanical changes in your body. Goddamn trickle. All right, I mean, that's enough. You can hit up Jeff offline if you want a consultation (laughs) on your own injuries. We got more guys to talk about in the NBA. Jeff, what is the optimism for Robert Williams, the Time Lord? Will he be back in time Lord? to help the Celtics beat the Nets? Nice. I think we're looking more more likely a second round appearance by Robert Williams. The good news for Celtics fans this year is he did have a meniscectomy, so instead of repairing the meniscus, they were actually able to take out the damaged tissue, results in a quicker recovery. So we talk about weeks rather than months. And all the reports initially on him have been positive that he is training in the right direction, stepping up his activity level, all good things, but like I said, these higher seedings, the, the quicker these teams can win, the more likely it is that they're buying their guys rest. And that starts to become influential And when they bring these guys back. Another question about Robert Williams, the decision they made to get him back on the court earlier, how do you feel about how that affects his future? I think they made the best decision. The big thing with meniscus is it's like real estate. It's all about location. So it sounds to me like they went in there and looked at it and the repair just wasn't possible. If the repair had been possible, they would have done that and they would have just scrapped the season for him. But they realized, hey, we, we can't suture this down. The best best treatment is to actually take it out. And that's fortunate for us because it also means you're going to be able to come back, right? So just because they opted to do the removal doesn't mean it was necessarily, oh, we don't care about you long-term. It may have been as simple as this is the only option we have. And so with that pebble in his shoe out, and he responds well and he's good. It does increase his risk down the road because you've taken some cartilage out. But it's not a guarantee, and you can do things to offset some of those issues, too. I got a question about someone who is not in the playoffs, even if he were healthy, but in thinking about injuries and recovery times. Is there anything in your database that comes close to the curious case of Jonathan Isaac, who tore his ACL in the bubble and has missed two NBA seasons as a result? It's definitely an interesting case study. I don't know a whole lot about exactly what's going on, so... All we can say is they're taking a conservative approach. It looks like what they're doing and and kind of go from there. It's unique. We've seen guys have setbacks and things like that. And he did have a setback, right? They came out and said that he had a hamstring issue that he needed to address. So they've got to handle that carefully. And this is back to what we talked about. It's circumstantial. Where they were in the standings, is is it worth running him back out there? It sounds like they made the decision to not. By the way, the team is taking a conservative approach. So is Jonathan Isaac. Wow. Nicely done. (laughs) <laughs> that's a ding count it how long can we drag this out with a conservative timeline here is a means high school basketball career that the doctors are taking a very conservative approach with his return all i know with the mean is that i've been officially on the clock since he started talking so this is all billable hours now so- no. <laughs> yes you're not gonna charge me for all this jonathan isaac talk if you're gonna charge me you might as well ask you about Kawhi leonard another ACL injury that's taken forever to recover from, particularly given that they called it a partial tear at the time. Is there any optimism should we have for the Clippers pull off the impossible and upset the Suns, let's say? Is there any hope that we might see Kawhi Leonard? I would hope so. I mean, it would make sense, but his history with coming back from injuries and how cryptic his last year in San Antonio was handled with the quad injury, I'm not betting on it. You know, just to have him back on the court and have them maybe upset somebody would be interesting and it would be intriguing, but... I think he's a guy who's cryptic with his information and really plays it close to the chest. So another playoff team affected by injury, the Denver Nuggets. We got conflicting reports the last few months about Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr.'s readiness or closeness to return. 
What's the latest on that front? And do you expect them to come back at all this postseason if they make a deep run? I don't. You know, I, I think we've kind of reached the point where it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to bring them back unless it's a finals berth, maybe. And, and it's just something something that they feel like can give them a slight edge. But we knew this was going to happen. The carryover effect was going to happen given the timing of Murray's injury. And then Porter's situation is a little bit more complex because he has multiple surgeries on his back. Plus, there's some other risks associated with with him in general that caused him to fall the draft boards. It wasn't just the back. There was some concerns about his knee as well. So, you know, those things are playing in a factor here. And they just signed him a big extension. So they've got to do everything they can to make sure that he's available for the remainder of that extension and rolling the dice for what could potentially even be, even with them healthy, a brief playoff appearance is probably not the best situation to step into. What's cooler for you to watch? Clay Thompson's return and what he's been able to do or DeMarcus Cousins and what he's been able to do? Tom, before you answer that, Jeff, I thought Tom was going to the different... I thought Clay Thompson rupturing his... ACL or I was like, oh, Tom, how gruesome. I get it. We're not painting Jeff as the grim reaper of injuries here who just (laughs) feeds off of the pain of the NBA players. No, he's about recovery. It's got to be Clay just because the crazy thing is the situation was so similar to both those guys, right? They both had the back-to-back injuries, the ACL and the Achilles. But Clay, the joy he brings to the basketball court to those around him is just infectious. Like you, you get a smile watching him play. Like it just seems like he's He's having fun. And that's that's why I love my job. It's, it's those moments where you get a guy back on the court doing something he loves. You could just tell it was really eating at Clay to not play. He's been brutally honest with with how he feels. Like, I hated it. I, I missed it, you know, and those kinds of things. And so while both situations are pretty cool and, and both unique case studies, I got to go with Clay. I think people forget that DeMarcus Cousins, after his Achilles, he came back and then he tore his quad and then came back again and then tore his ACL. It's insane. Like two of those injuries will end a career. And he's had all three and he's still playing at a high level for the Nuggets this year. You know, it's a testament to the players, a testament to the people he's working with that they're able to get him back. That's what it comes down to. There's, there's really no no wrong answer. Both guys are doing incredible, impressive things. And I, I like the fact that they're back playing. One follow-up to that. I heard LeBron James talk about how he shouldn't have come back for that New Orleans game, that second New Orleans game, because it might've caused his ankle injury to get worse. We always talk about with players that they need to tough it out and to come back and the real ones come back because they want to play for their fans. They're all about winning. But when you hear someone say, even though I'm not 100%, I want to show out for my fans. I want to show out for my team. Do you get nervous when you hear that? Like, is that a warning sign? Because we saw Anthony Davis last year come back for the playoffs because he wanted to tough it out. And he had this label about being injury prone, that he's soft from the media. But as someone who tracks injuries and you hear a player talk about how he needs to fight through a lot of the pain, does that make you a little nervous about their return? I mean, it's a lose-lose situation for the player, right? If they don't come back, they're soft, right? They're, they're not doing enough. And if they come back and they, they re-injure, they're like, oh, well, he shouldn't have fought. He should have listened to the medical staff. I think bottom line is you hope that the medical team and the player, they have set guidelines of this is what it's going to be where you have to meet to come back onto the court. And if you meet those hurdles, you check that checklist, whatever case may be, then you're going to play and you're, we're going to put you back out there. Nothing drives me crazier than, well, if it had been the NBA Finals, he'd be out there. Well, that means it's a sliding scale, right? Because, and I get it, the importance of the game does tend to influence things. But at the end, it should be about player safety and player health. Regardless of the importance of the game, the player health is really what needs to be the focus. So right now, how much does Amin owe you? Like, what's the invoice looking like? Yeah, He's good. I owe him some stuff from throughout the years and, and everything, all the shout outs he's given me. So we'll, we'll call it even. That's right. That's right. There you go. The zero tab. <laughs> how did that happen? Zero tab. Bullshit. No. 
can't let Amin off the hook there. Damn. Sorry, but uh, I mean, and I've had too many Star Wars conversations for me to really hold that one against them. We got to get you on Ruler 2 when we bring that back. Yeah. Let's do it. Jeff Stotts, thank you so much. At In Street Clothes on Twitter, InStreetClothes.com, I'm guessing, is the domain to get all your write-ups on injuries. The best, the best there is on NBA injuries. And the podcast. In Street Clothes, the new podcast, easily searchable, easy to find us. Thanks so much, buddy. It takes time to connect the dots. I know that. I know but that. also, I know that there could be a day of reckoning when you wish you connected the dots. More quick. More quick. What were we thinking? Why did we wake up when we had a chance? Move it. The malice and blow it up. What gets us into trouble is not what we don't know. It's what we know for sure. That just ain't so. so. A man's a divinity truth. Communicate this real clearly. The only way I do it. City by city, person by person, family by family. There are a lot of people who go straight from denial to despair. Without pausing on the intermediate step of actually doing something about the problem. 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 A truth. All right, guys. I don't know if you saw this. Irvin Magic Johnson did an interview with Variety last week as he does promo for his upcoming documentary, They Call Me Magic. You guys get a chance to read that? No. What what happened? It's actually pretty good. You know, it goes into some fun stuff like him being appointed to the National Commission on AIDS by former President Bush and then resigning almost immediately because he realized it was a sham. Or I don't know if you guys know this. He was CAA's first sports client. Oh. That's right. The Magic Man. Yeah. Truly a transformational figure who's changed the world and not just with the basketball in his hand. But the part I'm here to take umbrage in is his comments on Winning Time, the HBO hit series executive produced by our fellow metal locker in arms, truth teller Adam McKay. Magic asserts that they didn't consult him or any of his teammates at all on this project, which is true. I agree that was an oversight, but I have a hard time believing that could be true, given that Norm Nixon is played by... Norm Nixon's son. (laughs) He says, Showtime started on the court. Just unbelievable. We changed basketball. Goes on to say, fast-breaking entertainment is how he describes the game. Paula Abdul and the beautiful Laker girls came out on the floor. First time ever. Dancing girls. They turn it out. All the latest music and all the latest dances. You can't duplicate that. We entertain you. Show you moves you've only seen in the nightclub. Then you move up to the forum club. Guys, I got to tell you, I read that and I had to check if I was being trolled. If this was a ball sack sports exclusive and not variety. Because what he described there was literally, almost verbatim, the events of episode five of Winning Time. (laughs) Of how they created the Laker girls. How Paul Abdul was cast to be the lead and the head choreographer. How Jerry Buss said, I don't want girls dancing the can-can and ballet. I want girls dancing like they do in the nightclubs, dancing the disco. Everything that Magic Johnson just said there was almost verbatim off of this. He goes on to say, first of all, you can't do a story about the Lakers without the Lakers. The real Lakers. (laughs) He talks about how if you ever win a championship, you can't talk about what it takes to win a championship. And I said, Magic, Rick Fox is a consultant on the project. Rick Fox, who last I checked, not only former Laker, but former three-time NBA champion as a Laker. It was just the weirdest kind of criticisms of a series that I can see they're having some criticisms about. But to criticize them literally with laser accuracy 
on all the things they got right. Yeah, I saw in another interview talked about they could never capture Dr. Buss walking around with a shirt open, unbuttoned all the way down. I'm like, what are you, are you, are you doing this on purpose? Guys, either Magic Johnson is the greatest Illuminati among us, or he is just out of touch. It's impossible to know, I mean, it's impossible to know whether he's actually secretly promoting the show by describing everything that actually happens in it. Such incredibly descriptive detail. Incredibly descriptive detail. Now, here's the question that I have. I said either he's just completely out of touch or he's Illuminati. That wasn't just a joke. What is the hallmark of the Illuminati? These people who want to let us know the information is not public domain, that there are certain select few who control this information. And if you aren't in this circle, you have no authority and nothing you say has credibility. That's what I take offense to. I think I'd rather Magic just be an old, out-of-touch guy than to be part of this cabal, purposely spreading disinformation in one hand, and on the other hand, discrediting truth-telling, like that done by Jeff Perlman, who wrote the book Showtime that Winning Time is based off of. Now that you've brought this to my attention, I'm reading through this article, he said, how are you going to duplicate this? You can't. You need somebody who lived through it, not somebody's opinion, not somebody's, quote, I think, not somebody's, quote, I saw. Hmm. That turn of phrase sounds mighty familiar. Where'd you hear that? We heard that from Kevin Durant when he was talking about our friend, truth teller, Ethan Strauss. You got to do Ethan Strauss who come in here and just give his whole opinion on stuff and make it seem like it's coming from me. And he just walk around here, don't talk to nobody. Just walk in here and survey and then write something like that. And now y'all piling on me because I don't want to talk to y'all about that. When Light Years, the TV show, comes out in 10 years, we're going to have to go through this all over again, I mean. again i heard that exact turn of phrase Mm -hmm. when ethan opinion had our friend ethan strauss truth teller's name in his mouth he said ethan opinion instead he said ethan opinion said kevin durant is that a reference or are you having a stroke yeah you said when ethan opinion said it it about (laughs) ethan's true strauss oh my god he's having a stroke is it a freudian slip (laughs) ethan opinion What's the name of the episode? Ethan Opinion <laughs> said that about Ethan Strauss. <laughs> We're going to talk about whether that whistle there is part of his database. Is it going to get banged up from getting used too much? Does the whistle by Amin mean a DNP rest? I'm going to try to get this out without laughing. <laughs> is Amin's whistle going to get too work? Too much, too much work rec- uh, in recent days. We're going to talk to Jeff Stotts, the injury guru. <laughs> I'm not sure what you just said. Me neither. 